Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Generation on Air. My name is Alex Fulhamore and I am back after uh, Ben's very useful and very good temporary hosting last week. Uh, I am back in the saddle. So this week it is more misery for QPR with another 3-0 loss, this time away at Hull. Uh, and that has led to plenty of debate, rage and despondency amongst QPR fans. Joining me this week is Micah Chudley and Steve Bernard, who has been on before and you will know as uh, Analytics QPR on Twitter. So welcome, guys. I um, I hope you've got plenty of stuff to get off your chest. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we'll um, don't think we'll have a problem for content this week. I have a feeling. Yeah, another um, another pretty fraught uh, and tragic week for uh, for Queens Park Rangers. So um, nothing changes, does it? It no. is to be fair, to be fair, guys. It is literally Groundhog Day today, so um, <laughs> uh, it's very fitting that we've decided to record this today. You know, um, uh, so so well done. Many of the things we do just that seem to time quite well happens purely by accident so that is uh another happy coincidence um before we venture any further and talk about um obvious problems with club and first team and whatnot uh we should mention that uh prior to the game last week our striker Lyndon Dykes was admitted to hospital um and you know we we can't we won't speculate or anything but we'll just say that also we all wish him and his family the best in this mm. situation that is obviously quite horrible uh, and we do hope that we'll you know, see him playing for QPR once again when he's ready. Uh, but, you know, it's a it's a horrible situation to be in. And I guess we're all thinking of them at this time. Uh, so uh, let's start with Hull uh, and the team headlines. Uh, Laird missed out with a uh, suspect injury that was bad enough to potentially keep him out of the uh for the majority of the season or something like that but actually he's going to be okay for the next game um so Kako comes in low starts up and top up top in the absence of Dykes Adoma comes into the team and Willock is on the bench again um just before we go into a bit more of the specifics there's one thing in the team headlines that really bugged me Adoma playing ahead of Willock at this point um kind of shows how bad of form Willock has been in recently also kind of is there any point to be playing the Doma when you know to be nice uh it's quite clear that he's a bit past it at this point um but you know Willock is meant to be our star player and here he is getting kept out the side by someone that isn't going to be around at the club next season I assume um it kind of sums up a few things doesn't it I mean, yeah, but um, on that point, you could also say, does Willock deserve to be in the team at the moment? I'm not so sure. Is Willock going to be here <laughs> come next August? I'm not sure either, to be honest with you. It doesn't really feel like he will be. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, the Adoma decision is pretty odd. I think at this point, at best, he's probably a uh, like last 30 minutes type player. Um but I mean, maybe that that comes to my wider point that I'm sure we'll get onto later about kind of like the formation, because um, there's really nobody, there's nobody else that can play out there, really. Yeah. So I mean, Steepo out on loan. Um, that we have a, it's it's a challenging one because obviously Critchley wants to play that certain style and he's pretty uh, stubborn in it, and we've seen that before with managers. Warburton was mm. pretty stubborn in five at the back. Um, I don't know, is it getting the best out of Willock? I mean, Willock hasn't played that well for quite a while, but I just found it interesting that this week he's played more B-team football than first-team for us. You know, coming on with 10 minutes ago, he's playing against Brentford B earlier in the week. Um, like you said, this is a player that we we'll probably won't be us as well, I guess, but it's just kind of... If you said a couple of months ago that Willock would be out of the side and don't would be starting because Willock's in shocking form, I don't know whether... Anyone would have believed you. Like, Fair enough. It, it's yeah, just. I, it, yeah, well, I, I, I was just going to kind of chime in on that. I mean, I. It's and this will probably be a running theme throughout the pod. It's 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 just one more of these kind of 
weirdly illogical things that are going on at the club. Mm. And you, I, I agree with Micah in that Willock hasn't played well. There's no doubt about that. And, and no, nobody, you know, in theory should be an automatic kind of lock in the team. But the reality is you could make that same kind of case against, well, prior to his illness, Lyndon Dykes. And yet, you know, he'll still be playing week in, week out, you know, under normal circumstances. And I think with, with the whole Willock and Adoma thing, there's only one of those players that is going to be monetized in the summer for the club. And it isn't Albert Adoma. So I don't, I, th I think the more opportunities Willock has um, to play first team football, to be, to be playing minutes, um, to be starting games, I, I, I don't get why it, it seems almost a little bit, um, it's probably not, but it seems a little bit kind of spiteful from the outside in terms of we're dropping him and yet others who we could also point to as not having great games seem to be fairly regular picks in the team. Now, maybe it, maybe it's a fitness thing. Maybe there's stuff we don't know that he's still just not, he's fundamentally just not fit. But um, it, it again, yeah, like I say, it's just one of these illogical things which which is happening. You know, you can apply it to team selection, Sure, we'll get on to like stuff like recruitment, um, the general running of the club. It just doesn't make a lot of sense at this point. And when you cop a defeat like we did against Hull, fingers are going to be pointed at the manager for that. So, um, yeah, just it, it surprises me. Really does surprise me. Yeah. Um, so I watched I only watched the highlights today. Um, I, you know, I've seen all the tweets, the complaints, uh, and you know, I saw the messages that Micah and other uh contributors were put for this podcast were putting into our own group chat uh, you know i've seen all the disappointment it feels so similar uh to what has come before uh and i guess it was wasn't it you know there's been quotes of us being soft but that's you know not, nothing surprising there that's typical qpr and that does go that's more of the culture i think that gets created at when players come to this club, they can be as hard as nails at times, but elsewhere, but when they come through the doors at Loftus Road, they seem to sort of lose an edge at times. And when, when you have these sort of difficult periods where you don't win a game in such a long time, or you only have one win in 14 games and you need a little bit of, um, I think we've said in the past, like our go-to comparison here would be a bit of a Clint Hill figure. Uh, we we don't have that at least at the moment, and it's very rare that QPR have that, at least in these sort of last couple of seasons. Um, so let's have a look. Let's start with Irabunum and Adoma. We mentioned Adoma already. They get hooked at half time. Um, so like I said, I only just watched the highlights. So I didn't watch the game on the day. Were they really that bad? Um. I'm going to go on a rant. I feel like I'm always ranting about this kid and I feel bad because I do think he's going to be a really good player. But every single week I watch him and I'm just like, what are we actually getting out of this arrangement? Because he'll he'll give us one like eight out of ten and you'll be like, oh, he's all right. And then we just get like four, like five out of tens, four, three out of tens. And it's like, yeah, like I can see he's clearly going to be a good player one day. He's clearly going to play at a very good level. But it's it's kind of like the the analogy I put it is it's kind of like you're upstairs ironing a shirt, like ironing like a, a shirt similar to the lovely one that Steve has on now. You're ironing it, um, get all the creases out, and then you give it to your mate and you say, Here you go, mate, have a good time. And then he goes to the nightclub in a shirt and he's like, Oh, look at this shirt. Oh, nice shirt, mate. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought it the other day. Oh, yeah, all the creases, it's nice and it's well looked after. That's just kind of what it feels like with with Tim. It feels like we're just going to hand him back to Villa. All of the mistakes and all the little naivety that comes with being a young player, he would have had a season of getting all of that out of his system. And he's going to go to Villa a better player. What's going to happen for us? We've spent money having him here. We probably have some kind of agreement where he has to play the majority of the games. And then he goes and becomes a good player for Aston Villa, probably. You don't get any money out of it. We're probably going to finish mid-table, God willing. Um, but what have we got out of this arrangement? And the performance Saturday summed it up. The difficult like, thing with him as well is that kind of like, I know you say that he's going to be a good player, but I don't know, recently it sort of feels like 
there's something lacking there that might actually hold him back a little bit. I'm sure he will get a chance at Villa at some point, and you know, clearly a lot of football people quite like him. Um, but I wasn't around. I wasn't on the pod to talk about the Swansea game. But I thought the last sort of ten to fifteen minutes of his performance against Swansea was shocking. He gave the ball away in really simple situations at least three or four times before playing a rather crucial part in the goal that they can that they scored. Like he like the uh last goal against Luton, he may as well just not have been there. He was such an anonymous presence that they just went all around him. Yeah, I think um, I agree with everything that Micah said last time I was on the pod. I said, I, I don't understand certainly what we're getting out of this any longer. Um, gets to a point where I don't even know what he's getting out of it, to mm-hmm. be quite honest. I don't know what Aston Villa are getting out of it. Um, I was actually a little bit surprised that maybe they didn't think about recalling him this month, given everything that's happened with Beal given that he's very obviously a Beal signing. And um, I was a little bit surprised, yeah, maybe he wasn't he wasn't taken back and sent somewhere else, to be honest. I think that would have suited all parties. But yeah, I mean, I mean, the I wasn't I didn't watch the whole game. I wasn't there, mercifully. But from what everybody who was watching it was saying on social media, etc., he he had a absolute stinker i mean if you get hooked at half time you've you've had a mm. show but um yeah it's I, I i can't add much more than what micah said I, I, I again this is a something we'll come on to i'm sure about loans and about the, the, the huge number of loans we've got in the club and what their contribution level is who was allowed to sign them um yeah i honestly just don't understand it but i don't understand what we're getting and i don't understand what he's getting really yeah, um, I mean, he would be one of two loans that I would have uh, quite happily have seen recalled. Um, the other one has got a fair bit of slack as well, I think, or stick from the from people because of his performance. And recently, we were praising him so well. Um, Roberts, you know, scored two pretty good or crucial goals against against Reading, and seen again that he's kind of it was a little bit of a lost performance from him as well. We can't. He was the one that was actually rumored that we were going to be trying to send back, but we can't do that now, or we couldn't because we'd played him too often. I think it was the case. So mm. you know, that's really useful. And again, I think that'll be something we touch on when we talk about loans and negotiations and such. Um, we can talk a little bit about the goals. The the first one, I don't really. They seem to just sort of walk through us. And the third one, I kind of sort of thought, oh, who really cares at this point? I, you know, it's, there's, there's no there's no point talking about this. The second one is the one that's sort of come up quite a bit on Twitter recently. The uh, various different screenshots of Kakai playing the entire uh, Hull forward line of, on side. So um, what, why not? Let's go. The, let's talk about the most controversial one, shall we? Or not controversial, but the most problematic one, I guess. What is there any sympathy for Kakai there, Micah? I've got a little bit because that image takes it a little bit out of context. Where he was initially stood was not like that far playing him on side. <laughs> it was quite funny though, seeing it do the yeah. rounds. Um, but I, I have sympathy in that um it was not as bad as people are making out but he still played him on side at the end of the day he's still the one playing him on side um, should he be more aware of where like the rest of his back line are in sort of well just... it, it comes down carry to the, should he carry on with the run because the ball goes over that side i don't know like it it, it kind of just comes in my opinion personally i it kind of comes down to what uh, we said last year when we were linked with um steve cook which is that who's who's in charge back there? Who's taking the lead back there? You know, Dickie, you know, he just seems like a nice guy, you know, good defender, seems like a nice guy, probably doesn't really want to shout at anybody. Jimmy Dunn, you know, he beats his chest and, you know, he's very passionate, but I don't really think he's a leader. So the question is, who's taking charge back there? Who's I don't play defence um, when I play football, but every time I play in defence, there's at least one centre-back that's saying, oh, on me, you know, hold the line here, shouting at the other full-backs. I don't think we have that. I'm not trying to lift the blame off Kakai. He still played them on side. But again, ev- everything about Hull, that's the reason 
the conversation has kind of moved where it is. Everything about Hull is indicative of bigger problems at the club, in my opinion. So, yeah, uh, uh, again, I agree with every word that Micah said. It's, I think, the thing with Kakai on an individual basis, I, th- and I think we've all got to the point where we recognise that as good as guy, as good a guy as he is, he's he's not of the caliber that's needed at this at this level um so there's no any any he, he gets a lot of stick from people but the, the bottom line is he's just not he's just not good enough for the division um and like you said you know something i've picked up on many times on twitter after games the, the lack of leadership the lack of shouting the lack of having a couple of just couple of nasty nasty pieces of work because that's a bit cliche but just a couple of guys who can really take a handle on things, you know. When 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 the chips are down, someone who can who can rally the troops again. It's a bit cliched, but we, we don't really have anyone in the in the team who could do that. I, I, I was thinking actually during the whole game. I, I think this is actually where we miss someone like Balogun, because no, I don't think Balogun's actually going to play for the club again. I'd, I'd be well, I'd be surprised if he did. Um, but I think this is where you do miss that kind of, you know, 30 plus, plenty of experience, been around the block, seen a lot of situations on a football pitch who can kind of speak with authority and experience to a, a group of younger players. Um, and yeah, it's, it's it, if you look at the numbers where, um, I haven't got them in front of me, but there, there are some really interesting numbers when you look at how the team performances when certain players are in the team or not in the team, and the variance with Balogun is very high. You know, okay, he played; he was playing in the team during a good run of form generally, um, so that skews it a bit. But it's pretty stark that he's one of he's got some of the highest numbers for you know the benefit that we get of having him in the team versus not in the team. And the other centre halves, it's the opposite. It, it real problems with Rob Dickey this season. I'm a big fan of Rob Dickey um, generally, but there's no getting away from it. He's in a bit of a rut. And the performances this season have not been have not been good enough. Jimmy Dunn totally agree with what Mike has said. Talks a good game, beats his chest. You know, fans love him. Need more than that. Need a lot more than that. I thought this about Barbe. Do you remember last year when um, we played West Brom and Barbe yeah. had the bandage on the head and it was oh, very much. And everyone went crazy. Everyone was like, oh, you know, what a hero and everything. And he, yeah, and he, in that game, he was very, very good. But people get really carried away with these kind of like their perception of, of what these mm. guys are. And, and that perception can sometimes be very different from the reality of when you look at actually, you know, what yeah, is why is there a significant drop-off in matches when these per- people play? And why is there a significant um, increase in in uh, our performances when um, Balogun is playing and all this kind of stuff. You know, we have to start asking those questions. I think it's a great shame with Balogun. As I say, I don't think we're going to see him again for obvious no. reasons. But, see, Balogun but it... was, by, you know, clearly with what you're saying there is perhaps the the player, the type of player is the right signing. But uh, the, the actual, when you look at the deal and stuff like that, one year, he was clearly here for one reason, one reason only, was the wrong signing at the same time. Like, you can, I'm sure, find another Balogun elsewhere. And we do, you know, what you're saying rings true in what we know from the players, because in our interview with Ethan Laird, he did sort of single out Balogun as someone that Mm. was vocal on the pitch. Um, And that's clearly so important. But, you know, it was just the the wrong player, the wrong actual player themselves. So, sorry to interrupt, um, Alex. J- just one one thing. The amount of podcasts last year that players went on, and the one player they all mentioned who's no longer at the club, Lee Wallace. Now, mm. Lee Wallace's legs have gone, you know, I think that's fair. But I was struck, actually, certainly Dunn mentioned him. And I, I'm, damn, I'm sure there was someone else, maybe Dickie, who was on one of the other QPR podcasts and said, and they kept mentioning Lee Wallace about his his influence in the dressing room. And that always struck me that when he left, and I get the reasons why he left for footballing reasons, but I think he's, he, as well as people like Austin and, um, uh, even, you know, possibly Andre Gray to an extent, people like that. Yeah. But they, those are big losses out of the dressing room. When we talk about players who can, um, 
motivate other players, younger players, and um, get you know pull their socks up. I think we miss people like Lee Wallace um, and Charlie Austin as well. Yeah. Um, so let me uh, read you a quote from Neil Critchley's post-match interview. If you look at the recent history of this football club, it's quite clear to me that a few things need to change. What's the saying? Either people change or you change the people. It's nothing to do with tactics or ability when it's hard. We lack a certain basics of football. When the going gets tough, you need people to stand up and do the ugly side of the game better than we do. And I think he's kind of uh, summed up a little bit what you said there. Uh, So there's two things I want to talk about, particularly about this quote. One is that what 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 is it then that needs to change? And two, surely something has to be pointed at Critchley because he did this post Fleetwood. He had his little moan there, and nothing's changed. So, Mike, and Mike, I know that was something that you want to talk about in particular. Yeah, I, I just want to get out early. Uh, I don't think we should sack him. I think it's a ridiculous idea to sack him. I think the situation that he's inherited is particularly unique I can't think of another example quite like this in the championship really Um, but you said it there Alex I mean he's right don't get me wrong he's right about some things I I do find it quite funny (laughs) a manager to come out and say oh it's not the tactics Um, because you know it's quite a easy thing to say as a manager to kind of alleviate yourself and blame but I think we, he does have to have a little bit of a look at himself where if he comes in and says, look, I'm going to play the formation that suits the players best. And within a week, the reports are we need a right winger because we don't have one. That makes me think, well, why are we playing a 4-2-3-1? How does that suit the players? I don't think Chair is a left winger. I think we tried that for a season with Warburton to kind of accommodate Eze, but we didn't really get the best out of him. He needs to be central. Um I think, you know, Willock and the Willock and Chad relationship seems to have just kind of died out. Um, personally, I know it's quite an easy thing to say. I am still an advocate for the back three, the 3-4-2-1 three, that we were playing last season. I think, especially now, we're just leaking goals. I don't think it could hurt. I personally think that suits Rob Dickey better. He might get his confidence back. I think it suits Dunn a little bit more as well. He's not the most natural ball player. Um, but I just, I just, I just think like, yeah, like I get what you're saying, like Critchley. I understand that you're right, but at the same time, at what point does it become? Why aren't the players motivated? Like that, that's part of his job too, right? You know that. that I know he's he's much more of a sort of like a mild mannered sort of thinker, and I don't want to be one of those QPR fans that's like, oh, we need a voice. Um, but. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think at some point you have to say, well, why why can't I motivate the players? It's been weeks now since Bill left. Like there can't still be a hangover at this point. Every but the football world's moved on now. Like we, like I don't know. I th- I I am just of the opinion that he can do better as well. In my opinion, yeah. So uh, Steve, very quickly, what he. He mentions there that it's something needs to change. We've kind of, I think, hinted a bit of it already, what the problem is. But what is it that needs to change then? From I think, um, well, the mentality of the players, I think, needs to change. I mean, clearly, you know, when you when you talk about Critchley and what's been going on on the on the Twitter, and you interact with other fans, people will say to me, "Players don't want to play for him." Um, not acceptable. As as Micah said, you know, the, the, this kind of hangover from Beal really should have ended uh, by now. So I think there's a mindset change with with that's required. Um, I, I agree about the, the being more flexible with formations. Got to be trying things at the very least. We're going to be trying different things now in the next over the next few games. We should be doing that throughout January. Um, I mean, Neil Critchley will point to, you know, well, we were unlucky against Sheffield United. We almost beat Sheffield United and, you know, and you you could possibly make the same argument against Swansea. Um, So maybe it's it's a really tough one. I I think there are, I think there's a general um, malaise around the whole club. I think this is something we'll come on to in a, you know, later on in the pod, but it just, it just feels like there's, 
there's too many players there that think they're not going to be there at the club um, in, in, after the summer. And consequently, they're just not they're just not dialed in. And, and yeah, that's a mindset thing. And the, the mindset has to change. But I'm not sure there are many managers out there that, you know, on the kind of budget that we that we have that could really turn that around dramatically. I, it, it's a really difficult situation. And as Mike has said, it's a very unique situation. Um, but it's a I, I have I absolutely agree. We we should be sticking with this guy. I think he's a bright coach. I think he's um, he's uh, he's someone who has a decent reputation in the game. That doesn't just come from nowhere. Um, but then I'm, I was thinking, if we lose to Huddersfield, if we lose to Millwall, if this really does start collapsing in terms of our position in the table, I don't see how you make any other choice than to say in an emergency, we need to bring somebody else in as manager, which is really... Which really trouble me a lot mm. but i i it's it's such a it's it's a, it's a mess it's an absolute yeah mess. The, the the problem he's got now is that you know it's again it's an even more unique situation because he's played seven games in like four weeks i don't think any new managers played that many games in such a short space of time but the problem is because it's been seven games now the fans are kind of like you know where's the results and it's, I, I don't agree personally, because again, I just think it's just such a weird situation for him. But it's it's kind of like, you know, he, he needs three points just to stop everybody kind of baying for blood. The other thing I'd say as well is like, it probably is the chance, the time to sort of just sort of like, right, we're going to try try this in this game. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, we, we're going to have to move on to something else. But unfortunately, we're going to have to do it with the same eleven. It's not mm. gonna. The eleven is not gonna change because we've got, we, we've we've essentially got one right back most of the time. You know, and one have, left back and one left back. I mean, there's no point of keeping Hammerline. It was the right thing to do to get him away from the team, but because he was never gonna play. But we still only have one left back, and now Clark Salt is gonna be playing there, and he plays what sixty minutes and then decides he's injured. Um, you know the. the that is that is a real big issue now. Um, and the funny thing I've been seeing is there's been a lot of people saying, get rid of uh, Critchley, let's get Warburton back. It's like, do you re- oh. who, who seriously <laughs> thinks, who seriously thinks that after the, the, the awful breakup at the end of last season, that Warburton is going to be coming back and working with the same people again? I, I think there's a few people... Sorry, sir. I think there's a few people who have who still have a Warburton hangover, who still just can't accept why why he left the club um, or why he was allowed to leave the club. Um, he's, he's not coming back, guys. Yeah. <laughs> not coming back, and and you know we'll come on to it later. I'm sure about where why we are in the state we're in. He is not blameless, and mm. um, you know he's part he's part of this whole saga that's been that's unravelled over the last twelve months. And um, yeah, just feels like weird sort of revisionism going on there. Because as soon as you get as far away from a certain event, they start getting looked at in very different ways. Like people are forgetting a lot of the, I mean, I was someone who didn't want Warburton to, I don't know if I wanted him to go. I didn't, I was kind of, yeah, I probably didn't at the time. I thought he'd done a pretty good job, but there was obvious problems there. And it's something that kind of grates for me because when whenever we play poorly now and we do what we did at the weekend where the back four like hold on to the ball too long and Jimmy Dunn and Rob Dickey have the most touches out of everyone, my dad turns to me sitting next to me and goes, oh, this is like the worst Warburton performance. I'm sort of thinking, mm. yeah, but he's gone now. It isn't a Warburton performance. This is something else. This is the, um, like, maybe the same problem. Um, this is something else entirely. And if the, if the problem is the same problem that the players aren't motivated, why would you bring in the guy that supposedly couldn't motivate them to the point we needed we needed six wins from eighteen and we got five? I mean, it's just he's gone. You've got to accept it. It's over. Okay, so uh, I'm sure you're all aware, but the transfer window shut. Uh, or was it yes? No, two days ago, wasn't it? Um, you know. If you're paying attention, you'd have seen Chelsea spend millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions uh, to the point where 
everyone's sort of wondering where it's all coming from and how it's all legal. And then uh, we're sort of scraping up what we can to get Jamal Lowe on loan. And that sort of was him. And then after that, that was it. It was early business done, which I guess is a good thing. And he probably is the the best you can get at short notice. But we're still left short, aren't we, in a number of positions. Um, and the general sort of, I guess, negotiations around transfers seems to be odd. The dependency on loans, it's all a little bit familiar, but at the same time, equally as frustrating. So, Steve, your thoughts on what has transpired recently? Well, first and foremost, around the transfer window, or the, the transfer window just gone, it's, it's not really a surprise, or it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that we've not really brought more faces in. Um, how many times does it need to be said, we need to sell players before we can think about bringing people in? We have very, very. This is this has been done far by far more qualified people than me on this subject, but we do not have much FFP room whatsoever. And so, what that means is that until we sell players, we're we're, we're just not going to change the composition of the of the squad very much, barring maybe like we've done with Low, bringing in a player on loan, and possibly, you know, as we've said with Irabunum, you know, maybe losing another player on loan or whatever it's all going to be fairly neutral and it kind of speaks to a wider issue with the club which is we started this cycle four years three and a half years ago when Mark Warburton joined where it was explicitly stated that we were a selling club and that and that our model going forward was going to be you know bringing through either academy graduates um, to sell them on at a high price or bringing in uh, players for very little money and then and then selling them for a lot of money. And really, you know, since Eze, who else has been sold? Who else has been monetized in that in that period since we explicitly stated that we were that was our model? And and that's where really the failure of this transfer window is. It's not it's not actually that we haven't gone out and, and strengthened the team. As as really flimsy as the team is at the moment, with Dykes being ill and um, and with Powell's injury, and and it's only going to take another couple of injuries before we're really threadbare. Yet, regardless of all of that, we're not fulfilling the fundamental mission of the club, which is to sell players for 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 you know relatively decent money, or certainly to sell players for more than we brought them in for. And until that that happens. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have transfer windows like this, um, where we just can't bring anybody in much as I'm sure we'd like to. Um, so that's my kind of view. I'm I'm fairly calm about the fact that we haven't brought anyone in purely because I didn't expect us to bring mm. anybody in, and I and I find it curious that people thought we were going to bring three or four players in or whatever. It's just not going to happen. Maybe sort of putting a few things together here that I don't know shouldn't be put together but if you look back a couple of seasons ago we had that January window where we brought in those four loans which was basically like a last we're going to give everything that we can to Warburton uh costly loans and we're going to stay up basically because we can't afford to get relegated it'd be it's worse to get relegated we may be going to use what little money we have left and then the the transfer window after that for last season we go and buy all four of those players we still we get more players in again players that are uh Warburton's boys you know Odebajo and Gray and such players that are no longer at the club and then you come to this window and you've got you've got Beal who comes in who's clearly come in and said that he doesn't want any players sold I think that was said at some point in one of the various interviews that he did or has been hinted at that that was one of the things that was sort of a clause for him coming in. And the point I'm making here is, is whoever is in charge of making these sort of decisions, the footballing decisions, which you have to assume at a point is Les Ferdinand, or he is a big say in that as director of football, is he 
too soft because have we had you know this season should be one of the seasons this at the start of the year should we have been selling one of Dickie, Dieng, Chair or Willock even though you need someone to actually come in and want to buy them but you can shop window them you can put them out there that we're looking to you, you can buy this player for a certain price a sensible price that we would fit we've had our two sort of gambling transfer windows where we've put everything on the line to stay up and then potentially get promoted the next season is that this season should have been we've made a really big mistake in not trying to sell someone at the start of the year well i i think that's part of the a couple of the things you've touched on firstly this will probably feed into my wider point but there's real accountability and role clarity issues at qpr because you know we're all of the kind under the impression that the director of football makes the decisions but how do we have a situation last january where the director of football publicly says we need a striker the manager publicly says we need a number 10 and we end up with jeff hendrick a center midfielder how 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 do we get to that situation who's who's responsible and the thing is on twitter every day i mean I'm, i'm the same as you steve i wasn't surprised at all that we didn't get anybody after low. And if you watched Critchley's interview after low, he said something along the lines of, if this is the squad from here till the end of the season, I'm fine. Which sounds very much like a manager that knows nobody else is coming in. But my 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 wider point is kind of like if we if we have that situation where we actually don't know whose fault it is, because everybody on Twitter is it's Les, it's Lee, it's the owners, it's the manager, it's it's Tony Fernandez. We we actually don't really know at QPR who's responsible for what. I think that's a big that's a really big problem because like I don't know it 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 just it just kind of feels like at the moment there's just so many people between the manager and the owners. It's almost somewhat convenient for them if that makes sense because like. Some somebody made the point that Tony Fernandez like deleted all his QPR related posts this week. Of course, that led to some like, absolute loon saying that he's going to sell the club. Nobody is buying this football club. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> Nobody is buying a football club that loses fifteen million a year on its stadium. I, just I think as well, out. if anyone did buy us, I'm pretty sure that's the sort of person we wouldn't want in Most the club. Likely. Like, Most... let's be honest at that point, because and. Would you be happy then? Because this is a, a sort of discussion for wider English football as well. You know, we're getting more clubs and going with the director of football uh, sort of approach. But another thing they do in Europe, I understand, but we don't really do here, is that the director of football just doesn't have a media presence. They don't speak at all about the club, about what's happening. Whereas in Europe, you will have the director of football regularly sitting on a panel or in press conferences with the manager. So, you know, do we need, would you guys be happy with Les Ferdinand at least coming out, even if it's only with the club or with like West London Sports, someone who's quite friendly with the club and actually doing an interview and facing some questions? No. <laughs> to be quite, quite honest with you, no. Because my, my wider point is, I, I think the club that... talks a good, the club talks a good game, but like, I don't think there's ever been a point where the recruitment, the ownership and the manager have been completely aligned, except maybe the first season under Warburton. Like, I mean, like, uh, yeah, again, like how do we have a situation last summer? when We made the point about Lee Wallace and I enjoyed him while he was here. How do we have a situation where we've got a 24-year-old kid ready to come from Holland and play for us left back, but the manager wants a 20-year-old on loan from another championship team? Like, Don't get me wrong. Sam McCallum was a good player, but he was gone for five months of the season. Mm. So we really had him for four months. And we knew he wasn't, we knew really that Norwich were getting relegated and that he was going to be featuring for them this season. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I said championship club. I forgot they even went up. So, Uh, Steve, you had a point there, I think. Yeah, well, I I was going to say, I mean, the point about role clarity is absolutely spot on. I've I've got I mean here's the thing okay so we were just talking about different transfer windows and, and and a bit of hindsight with all of that because I think the thing with the pre the transfer windows under Warburton um, was that you know in that in that winter where Austin came in Johansson there was a there was a almost a critical need to get mm. some experienced heads in that yeah. team because that, that team 
and this is goes back to that point about revisionism under Warburton. That first half of that twenty uh, the twenty twenty one season, the first half of that was diabolical, really. Yeah. Um, and we were we were heading one way. We we were heading one way with the, and and Warburton did very well to not lose his job after the uh, Swansea game on Boxing Day that year. I think that was twenty twenty. And and as soon as and it was like, you know. As soon as Austin and Johansson came in, and and Field and Device played a role in this as well, but they, they suddenly you saw the impact. So so that worked. That that made sense to go and get those players. Not not for the long term, but for the short term necessity there. That made sense. And I sort of don't blame the club enormously for what they did last. When would this be? Uh, at the beginning of last season, in the summer of last season, because. You know, we had gone on a big upsurge in form. So I get why you would back the manager in that instance, even if it wasn't particularly joined up. Um, I, I sort of get why they would do that. Where I really struggle with what the club has been doing recently is partially about the winter window 12 months ago, where, like you say, it's Jeff Hendrick, and I just don't get it. I don't know what that's supposed to achieve. But the, the most egregious one is this summer, where presumably, no, no, none of us know what's gone on behind closed doors about what's been said, but you've got, you're appointing a manager or you're trying to appoint a manager who you believe is going to be hot property in the years to come. And I get that you want to incentivize that guy and entice that guy to come to the club. But the reality is that guy hadn't managed a single professional match in his career, right? And you're suddenly then saying, after all of the Warburton shenanigans with the, you know, issues between the director of football and the manager, of, even after all of that, you're then saying to this guy who has never managed a professional match in his life, go on, old horse, you know, go and bring in whoever you want. You know, hmm. I don't understand how that contract negotiation could have taken place without someone having a fail somewhere, because it should have been made very clear to that guy we have this way of operating. We have these guardrails that you're supposed to operate within. And Les Ferdinand makes the makes the football decisions, not Mick Beal. Mick Beal can have an input into what he might want, but but that's as far as it goes. Instead of instead of that, well, well, maybe they did say that to him, and he said, "Yeah, fine." And then he threw his toys out of the pram five minutes later, and then said, "I'm going to go to another club if you don't back me." Maybe, maybe that happened. But but what are we saying to you know what are we saying to that guy in the contract negotiation? What are we you know that we suddenly rip it all up and say no go on let's get an Aston Villa loanee who is not going to be here next season. Let's get a Manu loanee, um, admittedly in a more pressing position, um, who's not going to be here next season. Uh, I, I words fail me on that. I, I've thought about this a lot about what was going through people's heads at the club. If if he did if he, he didn't want to sign up to the terms that Ferdinand and and Hughes had given him, he's not the right person. If he, regardless yeah. of whether he's going to be the next Alex Ferguson, he he's he's not the right person for this club at this moment, right? Go, yeah, go and get Neil Critchley. Go and get whoever you know. It's it's like uh, there are plenty of other managers out there, and they got well. We don't know. We don't know how the discussions happened, but. It feels like we got hoodwinked there, and that speaks mm. to a lot of naivety. And we hear this word again and again with people within the hierarchy of the club about naivety um, and about letting people, you know, savvier people take advantage of them. That bothers me massively going forward. And that that that's a little bit of my problem with the whole. Oh, you know, Bill left us in a mess. Like we couldn't have seen this coming. Fair, you know. Yeah. Four months into the season, we couldn't have seen it coming. But at the same time, I do feel like if this had happened to, say, Brentford a few years ago, or even Luton now, even Luton now, I'm sure, because there would have been... Well, it didn't exactly place, happen in the same fashion, but Luton lost the manager at the same time, brought in a very able replacement. And, you know, they're... Do you think they're sulking that Nathan Jones has gone? I'm sure they were upset that he left. But do you think seven weeks later, they'd still be... I don't think so, because I'm sure everybody at Luton, everybody at Brentford, 
whatever club Brighton, if you want to take it to the Premier League, has brought in with the best interests of Brighton. If mm. we had brought players in with the best interests of QPR and McBeal left, I'm sure there would have been a bit of a downturn in form and morale because he was clearly somebody that values people management and is very good at it. But you wouldn't have a situation where you've got like like Tyler Roberts trudging around the pitch because he because he misses McBeal. Like, and you know what? You've mentioned him already, not by name, but the best example. It's not the best example, but it is a pretty good example because you know. To be fair, Powell's worked out all right, and he's clearly got something that Powell's got something about him where you know he has come over and taken a big risk for to play for us and to you know follow Bill because we all know his wife was pregnant at the time he was leaving her behind in Holland. But like you said, we wanted George Cox. We mm. wanted George Cox for two seasons, and I bet you this summer the first West London sport transfer story will be a third time we're linked with George Cox. That's if we get him. <laughs> but we won't get him. We won't. It just, it's not going to happen. It's like when we used to sort of so- get softly linked with Jermaine Defoe every transfer window when we're in the Premier League. Like, mm. his his name will be thrown forward again. So this kind of comes back, like, how, how do we think it actually works? Do we think Les Ferdinand actually has a lot of input? Because who is ma- he's having the sort of final say in these decisions. Because we're th- we were meant to sort of... Les. We were meant to get rid of this, weren't we? Sort of post McLaren, where we've went and appointed someone that you know clearly thinks a lot of themselves again, and looked at what we were meant. We gave him a remit. We've got all these. We've got Chair Bright Manning Eze. You mm. use your experience. You coach them. You make them sellable for us. And then, no, 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 no. We've got to get Tom Hemmed in because I can't. I can't work with these guys. Alex, Alex this is. This is this is this is the same old story with QPR. Yeah. It's we prior we end up falling for short term thinking um, over long term planning, and it's it, it it happens year after year after. Now now look, I get the need for flexibility within plans. You know, you know when the facts change, I change. You know, we were in a good position eighteen months ago, and I get why. You know, they sort of did the things they did. I, I get the need for flexibility. But it this happens all the time with the club where it's like it, it, it comes back to what Mike was saying. It's confusion about roles. It's about it's about different parties in the club having different ideas about players and about necessity. You've got the, the bean counters saying we've got to do it one way. You've got the football people seemingly wanting to do it another way. Uh, it's it's just such a it's such a mess. And you mentioned kind of Brighton and Brentford. I mean, okay, Brentford didn't feature much in the transfer window this this time round. But look at Bright, look at look how savvy Tony Bloom is, you know, with all that Casado stuff. Um, yeah, that the, Tony Bloom is not a man you want to play poker with. Um, and and Les Ferdinand, I would suspect, is someone you you would probably have a better chance of winning a hand against uh, a game of poker. Um, and that's the big difference between how a club like Brighton are operating within FFP and all of the restraints that that, that causes and how QPR are, are operating within FFP. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of, if it does feel like we're going sort of round and round in circles, doesn't it? And. What I find interesting is that recently, you know, Les Ferdinand has been popping up. He's been popping up on Sky Sports doing punditry work. Um, you know, I'm not saying that it's a disgrace that he's got a side earner, but is it? Is he looking to sort of create a bit of a name for himself to be a pundit rather than because a pundit's such a e- much more easier. You know, we mm. we're not really well, well. I wouldn't say we're pundits, but. It's easy for us to sit on this Zoom call and make all these comments and stuff like that. Because I, I don't know really where, you know, it's like the, the CEO discussion. Plenty of people saying there needs to be a more creative way of getting people into the stadium. I, I have sympathy in this for Lee Hughes because I think that QPR as a footballing prospect, if there's a young fan, even like living right next to QPR, I think it's incredibly hard to get them to sort of actually be interested in QPR. I just think it, 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 it with any championship club, you're going to have a hard time, especially in London when you've got all that influence locally. Um, you know, it is... 
uh, and we will got, sort of t- discuss the CEO bit a little bit more in detail. But is do you think Les Ferdinand's thinking this isn't really worth my time? There's clearly he's not. It, it, something's not working there. Am I reading into that too much? I don't know. I, I think because that every time Les is on Sky and we're not playing well as a thing, I think one thing to remember about Les Ferdinand is that he is like a genuine Premier League legend. Like he's mm. won PFA Player of the Year. I think he's got the most non-penalty goals in the history of the Premier League. I might be wrong about that. Or he's, he's definitely like on the list. So like he's always going to be wanted on TV and Newcastle are doing well at the moment. And like, I know he scored most of his Premier League goals with us, but most Premier League fans remember him for Newcastle. So it it, it never really bothers me like that much with him being on TV. Um, in terms of whether he's looking for the exit door, um, typically with this ownership, once the fans are loud enough, they just kind of just fall for whatever the fans are demanding them to do. That's just been... The funny thing about team. that, though, is that since day one, Les Ferdinand's been criticised in his role. Yeah, He's never I, been a more criticised person at QPR yeah. than Les Ferdinand. Yeah, and I know I what think, you say about that, but like, you know, what? I think the first few years, it was harsh to criticise him because it was like, it's pretty clear Tony Fernandez is still hiring these guys that he'd seen on TV in 2006, like Harry Redknapp, Ian Holloway, Steve McLaren, whatever. I think now, because and especially because of how it ended with Warburton and the fans had quite, obviously not the affili- the love they have for Les Ferdinand, but they had quite a love for kind of how Warburton progressed the team. It, it it kind of, I wouldn't say last chance saloon, but it just kind of felt like Les is on very thin ice now. Like the, the calls are kind of louder than ever um, and really and truly like, you know, valid criticisms who's coming through the 23s the 23s that have come through don't seem to be up to much which again I think a little bit harsh but at the same time we didn't own a left back for like three years that wasn't on a one-year deal um but I I I, I do feel like if there is a shake-up coming he's probably going to be the sacrificial lamb there's there's no really calls louder for anyone other than him and I mean as- next time we go in look for a director of football I can understand why they went with him first time round because it's a new role you go for a bit of a club legend it's a bit of a good PR move as well but you know I'm not expecting him to sort of like sack him and then sign uh, Kevin Gallinon to be the director of football or something like that I'd kind of prefer someone that is God more forbid. like on the sort of I don't know, someone that isn't related to QPR at all, someone that can come in with a clean slate and just sort of actually be the director of football rather than... I wonder if they'd even go down that... Because mo- it just seems like, and, you know, from from what I remember of Amit first time around, he was very much constant communication with Neil Warnock. I wonder if they'll even go with one because mm. they're, it, it, it does kind of... Again, role clarity is a thing, so I'm just assuming... But it does kind of seem when a manager doesn't like somebody that Andy Belk puts to them and they say, actually, I want this guy. Like, like we, we go back to the club talking a good game. Like, they clearly wanted George Cox. Bill comes in, says he wants Kenneth Powell. Good signing, to be fair. Probably our player of the season so far. Bill comes in, says he wants Kenneth Powell. Everything on the club website, oh, we'd, we'd watched 18-odd games of him. You know, he'd been on our dossier. But it's like, yeah, OK, cool. But you clearly thought George Cox was better because you wanted to bring him in. Yeah. And it's like, well, it, it just kind of seems like, well, if the manager like wants something that the recruitment team doesn't want, that's the priority. So we're going to get him. So I'm almost of the opinion, like, well, why even have a director of football then? Like, if if that's how you want to operate, like it's the 1990s, then why, why why even have one? Just go all in on it rather than sort of pretending to not. Well, because it, know, it, yeah, I mean, you're God, Steve. I've talked. Yeah, to no, well, I, I, you know, it's have. Have we had a meaningful director of football in the lot? I mean, everything we've said is about managers just essentially being indulged. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and and so so what, I, what I'd say about this is what's the defining culture and identity of QPR? I because I and I'm all ears if people want to tell me what it is, but I'm not sure there is one. And that's where you want. Now, I know that's more than just the director of football. That's that's the ownership. That's the the, the CEO. That's everyone. But yeah, for me, there's just no kind of central logical thinking about, you know, I look at Ferdinand's record. 
yes, okay, everyone talks about the the four year deals for Nico and um, Aussie. What about the two years for Albert Doma? Yeah, two yeah. years, two, two years last summer. I mean, come on. And Austin it. as well, to, to a certain extent. I know we talk about voices in the dressing room, but there was a sort of there was a decline there, wasn't there? No, there was, and but I mean, I mean, to be fair, Adoma's numbers last season were not were not that bad, but it it was like it, it should why two year contracts to to someone of that age? I mean, really, you know, and we have to ask ourselves: Are we in a are we in a better place now going into this summer than we were, for, you know, three and a half four years ago when this cycle sort of began? And okay, a lot of this will depend on where we finish in the table. But if we if we do end up phoning in performances for the rest of the season and we finish, um, you know, don't say it, don't say 19th, it. 20th, then, Thank God, thought you were going to well, say yeah, 16th. Well, yeah, well, 16th, 17th. You know, basically, we will not have moved on, and we will. And, and it comes back to this thing I said: we will not have seriously monetized players. That's that's that that's Les's job. That's that's Les's job to get that bit right, and it's not happening. And I would just say, last point on the territory of football, we have a number of players whose contracts expire in eighteen months' time. You know, we're talking about Steph Johansson, Albert Adoma, um, Dazelle, Dickey, Dunn, Field, um, Dieng. There's that's basically the spine of the team that in eighteen months are either have going to be sold are either going to have been sold or they're walking out the door for free. If you throw Chair into that mix and you throw Willock into that mix, I, I mean, I assume Willock's the extension has been triggered. I, I don't I don't actually know if it has, but if it has, great. So you I throw him into the mix. Yeah, throw Chair into the mix. That, that means a lot of those players have to be sold this summer coming up. Now, if you thought this transfer window was bad from a QPR perspective, and I, I think it was pretty neutral, you wait till the next transfer window in the summer because we're going to have, we're going to need to sell four or five players, probably given the where we are with FFP. We've got two players in Johansson and the Doma who are not going to be sold and we're going to have to come up with some kind of settlements arrangement with them. We are, and, and what that means is we've then got to bring in eight or nine players from somewhere, either through the academy or through um, deals that we can do with transfers, etc., and probably a whole load of loans. Hmm. Do we trust the current setup to do that to the best of their ability? I, for me, I'm not sure I do. Does that mean anything's going to change? Of course, it's not. It's just my opinion. But I think that the next summer, tra- the summer transfer window coming, terrifies me in terms of the amount of player churn that's coming up uh, that that needs to come up. It's not about, it's not about, you know, can we, can't we sort of thing, unless someone wants to give us 20 million for Ilias chair, which isn't all going to happen. We're going to sell five, six players at least, and probably lose a couple of others. And also we lose all the loan players that we've currently got in the team. So good luck to whoever's the DOF at that point. Personally, I think it needs a fresh face. I think it needs just, total outsider who can just get on with the job um without having the emotional baggage with the club yeah it's yeah that's that's kind of where i am with it yeah i think that's uh spot on really like you know it felt like this summer as well like we we did the sort of gamble again on trying to sort of paper over the cracks with a, a last gasp go at promotion when really they said we should have been more sensible. We should have been more resolute in who we're getting in through the door, both in terms of manager, both and in terms of player acquisition. You know, and we should be. You know, even if George Cox doesn't turn out, wouldn't turn out to be the best player ever. We we should be doing. We should be giving the power to the people that we're meant that are meant to have it, and it doesn't feel like that at the moment. Uh, very quickly, the CEO he comes in for a bit of criticism as well this week. Um, particularly from, uh, you know, the, the average fan doesn't necessarily, I guess, but a bit more from the sort of like West London sport journos. And I guess they know a bit more than us. They're a little, they're in conversation with these guys. But like I said earlier, you know, 
London is pretty unique in the fact that we've got plenty of uh, Premier League clubs there already. I don't, maybe I'll be wrong in saying this, but I don't feel like Brentford are attracting new organic fans necessarily at this point. I don't know. It always no. it feels like everyone that is supporting them is someone that has a second team or they were the second team. Yeah. If you're a young lad or girl that's growing up in London right now, they're going to be supporting Chelsea. They're going to be supporting Arsenal. You're not looking at sort of organic. I don't know. There probably could be some better sort of outreach from the club in terms of, you know, you have got like Westfield just down the road and there's never any presence of QPR there at all. Uh, I know it's probably quite an expensive place to get into, but just a stall there or something like that at some yeah, point. Do, but you know what? If, I, if, I don't if... understand. I don't know where you grab these sort of people from because there's there's a lot of pe- there's a lot of things that people can do with their money, and football is very expensive. And that you know, we love QPR because we've you know I've been roped into it through my dad, Micah. You've been roped into it through your dad, uh, Steve. You're yeah. sort of not along along with that. Yep. Was it the same for you? My my father was a, a QPR fan. Yes, that's true. So majority of our fans are coming are going to be us. They're going to be people that you know are our dads or mums or family members supported us for support of the club much earlier on in, in... Yeah, but that isn't that the problem though yeah that, that, that is the problem but i don't know how you attract these sort of this organic growth from well for me for me right i i will say this and i say this all the time i used to live in northwest london i used to live in wembley and i lived in wilsden for a little bit and the shirt you would see after arsenal fans most was qpr and i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe training kits jackets i couldn't believe it and a lot of it there's quite a big um moroccan community um in northwest london at the time i was living in northwest london chair had just started playing for us and we were about three or four years removed from um adult or not the version we know and love the slightly overrate red nut version um so like it was i was almost like i can't believe how many people like are wearing qpr i couldn't believe it like you could shout you are's and somebody would like shout it back but then on a match day, it just feels like I see this. I haven't been to nearly as many games as I went to last season, to be fair. But it just feels like it's the same kind of faces. It feels like we went through a period, obviously, in the noughties where like we almost fell apart and we had a lot of people on the streets collecting for the club. And it was like, it's it's very unique for us to have such a loyal kind of fan base that as for the most part doesn't live in shepherd's bush anymore because of the changing dynamics of london um but then it just kind of feels like we just sort of like rely on that fan base and like all these younger fans that i see wearing qpr shirts and supporting qpr and wearing chair shirts it's like they it doesn't translate to a match day and i'm not saying it's anybody's fault but i'm just kind of like are we missing a bit of an opportunity here I don't know. I've, uh, Dave Mack, I, I, well, I don't though, fully like... agree. I don't fully agree with how far Dave Mack kind of took it the other day in his thread. But I do look at it like, ooh, like could we be doing more? I think the key thing is though, what you know, you say you mentioned trap there and you mentioned chair, but the the reason why a lot of Morocco fans would have supported QPR would be because of Tarap. And yeah, at the time when when they probably started it, they he was tearing up the championship we won the league and then we're in the premier league for at least two seasons and we're involved in one of the the all-time moments in premier league history so our name is a little bit on the map there i think the crucial thing with drawing any new sporting is on the field success and that happens there and i know what i I said about like brentford not getting more fans now i don't know truthfully but it just doesn't feel like they'll be attracting a lot of that people will be still looking at Arsenal and Chelsea and thinking that's that's the team that's, for me, that, or even further afield. But but that's kind of how, I mean, look, this is where football's going, isn't it? I mean, this is why you're getting things like the Super League being proposed about how to, you know, for, I'm not sure if I believe them or not, but, you know, these Super League chairman owners will say, oh, not enough young people are kind of following the sport. You know, not enough young people are in Spain are supporting Real Madrid or Barcelona or whatever. So there's a there's a wider issue about football and its um, accessibility for mm. uh, for younger people. So that and that's across the board. My my fear is, and I get the sense that this really is where it's headed. It's a much bigger issue than just QPR. It's if you're not in the Premier League, 
you're not really I mean, you're not really there to be supported. You're a bit of a kind of, you know, unless and maybe unless you're one of these kind of yo-yo teams, um, you're not really on the radar of anybody. Um, and I read this, I read today there um, that the Premier League clubs want to have kind of unfettered loans to... Oh, I saw that as well. Yeah. yeah and then, then this is, now, whether that will happen or not, who knows, but it's part of a wide, it's part of the direction of travel, which is... This is my very strong sense. This is, I think, where it's going to go: is that EFL clubs in this country will simply become affiliates to Premier League clubs, and it'll, you know, it's no surprise. This, this is kind of linked to what we're talking about. So, forgive me if it sounds a bit off topic, but it's, you know, it's no surprise that with the, you know, we've got a lot of American owners now in the Premier League, um, and Burnley, all these kind of clubs, and they think in this set in this way of kind of you know the, the EFL really is our farm like mm. in baseball where you have a major league team has three or four farm teams that they routinely send players to or promote players from and and you can see this is the financial power of the Premier League is such that the EFL clubs will eventually toe the line because the money will be made attractive to them um to get them to agree to this kind of stuff and and what that means is when we talk about younger generations coming through, I don't I don't get why unless they had, you know, their family was steeped in it all, I don't get why they'd be inspired to support us. And I don't think that's our fault necessarily. I think that's a wider problem with, with football generally and how it's marketed. Well, sorry to start cut off Steve there as he was sort of mid-flow, but the uh, recording had to come to an end at some point and you know we were running out of our time and we had other things to do this evening. So um, thank you very much to Steve and to Micah for uh, coming on and discussing some pretty miserable topics with me. There's not really uh, a nice way to do episodes like this. I certainly don't like talking about QPR in a negative way, but at the moment this is quite topical and needs to be discussed. So thank you very much for listening. It was a long episode and I'll apologise for that. But hopefully you'll deem it worth your time. Uh, until next time, come in yours.